This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. You're listening to Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Football! Football, yeah! Football! Football! Yeah! Football! Oh, you know what? On a Friday before the Saints play the Vikings, Matthew Collar. <sighs> Judd, I gotta eat. You can't have a football hour. It's not enough. You got a, a bunch of football hours. You know what you need? You need two of them. Lots of football. Football. Two football hours. Football, yeah. Football, yeah. Football, football, yeah. Football, yeah. Football, Gotta yeah. eat. Gotta eat. Gotta eat. All right. So in, in the previous segment, we were going over the Vikings injury report and who is going to be out, which includes Anthony Barr, Tom Compton, Delvin Cook, Linval Joseph questionable, Riley Reef doubtful, Xavier Rhodes questionable, and Andrew Sandejo out. Everson Griffin, it looks like, is going to play. What do you make of what the Vikings are going to be up against with the personnel losses and uh, potential addition? So with Everson going to play, we'll see how much. Uh, because this is a guy who has not played since week two. And it's you know, he's been working out, according to Mike Zimmer. But it's hard to say what type of football shape he is in if he can manage 60 snaps in a game. Pretty unlikely, right? So my guess is that we're talking maybe 20, maybe a third of plays, maybe comes in on third downs. It would be really impressive if if he was able to come back and just play the whole game after going through what he went through off the field and just physically to be away from the game, away from those practices, if he could somehow play a whole game. I mean, even Khalil Mack who missed the training camp sitting out with the contract issue, when he came back with the Bears after no preseason, no training camp, they only played him a handful of snaps in that first game. He just happened to like intercept a pass and strip sack, so you remember them. Mm-hmm. But his snap counts weren't that high. They had to build him back up to it. Uh, the good thing for the Vikings there in the defensive line is, A, that Steven Weatherly has really shown great progress. He has been one of the bright spots of this season for the Vikings. A guy who is a seventh-round pick, Barely played the last two years. They had been selling on Weatherly that he was progressing and that he was a guy they were excited about. They didn't sign anyone as part of a rotation, so they relied entirely on him, and he has risen to the challenge. Sheldon Richardson has been fantastic, just a great signing for this team. So the defensive line, even if Everson Griffin plays 15 snaps, is still one of the best in the NFL. The rest of it, though, Judd, is very concerning in a game like this because when Anthony Barr is dialed in, as he was week one last year, he can shut down opposing running backs, he can cause havoc for quarterbacks, he blitzes from all over the place, and he's very effective in doing so. Having him out is a pretty darn big concern when the other team has 
Mark Ingram and Elvin Kamara, two of the best running backs in the NFL. And then with Xavier Rhodes, I mean, his role last year when they played New Orleans is to shut down one of the best receivers in the NFL. When you're talking about, we've had this conversation about Thielen, where does he rank? Is he the number one receiver in the NFL right now? Well, guess who's in that conversation is Michael Thomas. He's right there. And to not have Xavier at 100%, who, by the way, was still limping today, Xavier Rhodes at practice. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about not having him at 100%, how is he going to track one of the best wide receivers in the NFL for a whole game? You might not see him be able to play his normal self. You might have to play just one side, or he might have to come in and out with Holton Hill. It's not a great situation when Drew Brees is hard enough to stop when you have everyone healthy, which they did in week one and in the divisional game. So if Rhodes can't go at all, are we looking at Trey Waynes having to shadow Michael Thomas then? See, what makes Michael Thomas tough, and Adam Thielen is the same way, is that he moves all over the place right. and he moves inside. You don't want Trey Waynes tracking someone inside. Uh, he is a pure outside corner. This is where Xavier Rhodes is really special. He was an outside corner before, but then he worked on it so he could play anywhere. Wherever you want to put your top receiver, Xavier Rhodes is going to be right on top of that guy. And that's something that Trey Waynes just really isn't fit for. Waynes is great at a hey, good luck trying to have someone outrun him down the sideline because it's just not going to happen. And he'll get, you know, if he gets his head around on the ball, he'll make plays on it as we've seen him do. Uh, so, it, you know, I think that they want to keep him on one side and they would probably have Holton Hill just play the other side and Mackenzie Alexander stay inside. Uh, because they don't have another nickel corner. Oh, boy. I mean, J. Ron Curse is the backup nickel corner right. for this game. Somebody gets a, a turf toe, and this is going to be a real problem. All right. Stop right there and tell me this. From your from your extensive film review, is Holton Hill even close to being capable of handling the assignment that you just talked about? I mean, he's played 39 plays, so I can't really tell you. I mean, I, that that's not enough to judge. He gets an interception last week, but Sam Darnold threw the ball right to him. Right. So I, there's not a whole lot I can say about how he's going to look, other than this was a guy that was supposed to be a Stephen Weatherly-type prospect who you sit for two years, and then he eventually gets in and is good. And, and Holton Hill has a ceiling that is through the roof. I mean, he has got size. He is a playmaker. That's why they have him kick return. He's explosive. And in college, he's a great tackler. I mean, he would get up there and make plays in the run game. But this is the NFL, and this is a guy who was supposed to be like a third-round pick. So it wasn't a guy who was like a first-rounder and ended up undrafted. It was like a mid-round pick, a guy who's talented but needs years to get to a point where you're going to be able to rely on him. But, I mean, this is where you need someone to step up when they talk all the time about this next man up, next man up. Well, this is where they're really going to need it because this is a quarterback who is playing at the highest level in the entire NFL who has weapons all over the field. And, by the way, I did an article and watched the tape on their running game that's another area to watch Holton Hill because they love to get to the outsides. They love to run a read option with Taysom Hill. They have jet sweep action going on. They have a fake end around. They do. They didn't run the same running play twice, I think, during that whole game against the Ravens. If Mike McCarthy is such a supposed or was, was an offensive genius, why didn't he find this Taysom Hill stuff to be something that, that he could at least work with? Because Taysom Hill spent last year with the Packers, correct? And then they cut him. So 
I would like to think in this day and age of football, if you were an enlightened offensive mind, you would look at Taysom Hill and say there's some potential there, which is exactly what Sean Payton is saying. The, the Green Bay offense is nowhere near the Saints offense in terms of complexity. And with Taysom Hill, he's fun to watch because on one play, he's a tight end. Another play, he's quarterback. And this is Sean Another Payton. Another play, he's an outside This is why receiver. Sean Payton's good. How about this? The first he's play. He's a jerk, but he's good. He's like Zimmer. Like they're like the same guy, only he's the offensive Zimmer and this is the defensive Zimmer. Like they change up, they change up. They're brilliant. They get the most out of their players. I mean, it's really great to watch. First play from scrimmage, they line up with Zach Line, two uh, two running back set. Right, they got Zach Line, old former Vikings fullback. I think Kamara's in the backfield, and they split wide uh, Zach Line to wide receiver. They send him out in motion to wide receiver. So they send their fullback out to make a four receiver set on the first play from scrimmage. Okay. And then they run out to that side. So he ends up lined up against a wide receiver or a, a cornerback. So you got Zach lying up against the cornerback. It's a big disadvantage because he can handle linebackers. It's just the little things that they do that, that every play you're like, oh, that was a cool little wrinkle. That was a cool little wrinkle. It reminds you very much of the Rams. And that's where you would be concerned with this game is that you have an offensive mind who's every bit as good as Sean McVay, only his quarterback's even better than the one that McVay has. And his running back's just as good in Elvin Kamara. And now that Mark Ingram's back, they have that too. And like the Rams, they have one of the best offensive lines in the entire NFL. If there's an offensive line that can handle this, this doesn't Vikings sound team, good. It really does. What I you're mean, going through doesn't it, sound. You're, you're not being positive it, enough for it, me. And the I listeners mean, are ticked it, off too. It, it doesn't on that side. Hold on, on I'm going to tweet of the you. Ball. Yeah, I'm, could I'm, you tweet me about being I'm more positive? I'm going to tweet you right uh, now. Now, okay, <laughs> so just for you, Judd, because you're always begging everyone to be so positive all the time, and I get tired of it. Well, I like to host um, a show in which we in which we all share what we consider to be a common goal, which is. Raise up everybody. Yeah, Raise their right. level. Um you can't even you can't even parody it correctly, Judd. Uh on the offensive side, the Vikings have a good chance of putting up big points against this defense with the Saints. That the Saints defense is not as good as it was last year, and a big part of it was Marshawn Lattimore, who is one of the best players, I would say, in the entire NFL. And so now it's okay, how are they gonna handle Thielen and Diggs, and it's really tough to figure out how they would. I mean, they gave up 23 points, should have been 24 if not for a weird field goal from uh, Justin Tucker, to the Ravens, who don't have a great offense. So the Vikings have a chance. This is one that, at least on paper, you say these two teams, it could be 34-38 by the end of it. It could look very much like the Rams game, and last person with the ball wins. Is Eli Apple going to play? Because Mike Triplett of ESPN.com told us when he he essentially asked, "Who do you think that will they shadow uh, Diggs or Thielen?" And he said, "And I said the thing with Thielen that people don't do enough is hit him." And yeah, he said that, true. and and he said Apple's a big enough guy that it would make yep. sense to put him on on Thielen to provide that five yard punch in the face. Yep, you are correct in that, and that's actually the uh, cleverness of Pat Shermer was to see. I won't call it a big weakness because Thielen can get off the line. But where he's really good is if you give him a couple extra feet. Then he can use some of those basketball moves. He can use the the stab with the foot one way or the other. He can use his arms, his shoulders, his head to get that a little extra before a corner can get his hands out on him. And that's what I'm sure you're going to see this week. You see it all the time. And that I mean, that's just one of the things that I noticed right away, even in training camp last year, 
Like, why are they lining up Thielen in the slot all the time? Like, he just, he's not, when you think of slot receiver, you think of like a little guy, like a Wes Welker or something. Jerry's right, I thought uh, of. Jerry's right. Yeah. Somebody who's like a, a good, good little route runner, but isn't one of those deep threats or something. And Thielen has just thrived there. That's what's taken him from being a really good wide receiver to one of the best in the NFL is that he can get off the line. So if you're able to stab him uh, with a punch or something like that, slow him down, you can. But it's tough because they're going to line him up all over the place. They're going to use the bunch formations. and So this could be two teams just offensively throwing punches up against each other. And I would have said, yeah, the Vikings can slow them down more than other teams. If they had Anthony Barr, who likes to rise to the occasion on a national TV game like this, Eric Wilson's done a nice job when he's filled in, but he's not Anthony Barr. So that's going to hurt them. Xavier Rhodes being slowed at best is going to hurt them. And that's where you say, okay, Kirk, this is your opportunity. If Rhodes is slowed, he really shouldn't play, though, right? I think so. It's not worth the chance, right? Or at least don't have him shadow. Okay. Because then it's going to be really tough for him. All right, let's take a break from the TCL Broadcast Studio. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, joins the discussion next. He'll be covering Saints-Vikings, so we will get his thoughts on Sunday's game. People, people, I have an important announcement. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. On 1500 ESPN. Turn after being out since week two. It's a good question. If you are following the uh, NFL injury reporting guidelines, the letter of the law, you would say that Griffin took his normal reps all of the past three days, which would indicate that you know, they're not overly concerned with uh, conditioning or anything else. You know, I talked to, to Harrison Smith about it today, and just asked him how they ever said, look, he's like, oh, I'm not in the DN meetings, but he looks explosive and physical. He's got all his moves. He said he's still Epperson. And that's what the Vikings are hoping, is that you know, over time here he's going to be you know, the same guy that uh, he was in the past. You know, do they... Just have concern relative to soft tissue injuries, you know, and he hasn't done football in a while. So you really want to play in 70 snaps. I think it's fair to say uh, they probably hold him back from that. But, you know, certainly uh, all indications right now are that Griffin is going to be good to go on Sunday. And you know, there's probably a feeling out process that takes place, too, in terms of them seeing how he's holding up, how his wind is and all that, and figuring out exactly how much they want him on the field. Tom, uh, what's your sense for just the, the Vikings feeling and, and how this was handled and how they knew that this was the right time to bring Everson Griffin back? I mean, it's such a unique situation even for reporters to try and talk about because there's a lot of information we just don't know. Yeah, there's no question about that, Matthew. And I think that you know that this was a, a pretty rare case uh, just from a uh, reporting standpoint in terms of you know the way that you know, I had to, others, you had to handle information. I think that when you're dealing with something that, you know, and, and Griffin never used the words mental health the other day, but he did talk about his health, his wellness, finding balance in his life. Um, you, you do have to treat this uh, a little bit differently than if he were, you know, bothered by a hamstring or it was a torn ACL or anything else. So I, I would I would give the credit to the Vikings for this. They said from the beginning that this was about Griffin getting better. Um, you know, I know that there were some reports and speculation of it may be, you know, may not be anytime soon. It may be a while till you see Griffin again. You know, and when I asked him about that, all I was told was this is about him getting right. I and mean, he'll get back when he gets back. Well, obviously he made enough progress that the doctors felt as if uh, this was something that would be okay for him to do. And really, you know, I think of this in some of the same ways we talk about guys when they get into 
the substance abuse program in terms of I've heard from so many players and agents through the years that it's counterproductive when you take the player completely out of the team environment because guys are used to that structure. They're used to being around the guys and, and having those support systems. You know, it seems as if, uh, you know, from Griffin's standpoint, everything he's going through, getting back to some semblance of more normality, even while he is continuing to follow all the protocols and all the treatment that's being laid out there for him, uh, that this is something that he and everybody else thinks, uh, you know, this is the right time for him to do that. From your reporting, sir, would you guess that Xavier Rhodes, who's listed as a questionable with a foot problem, plays on Sunday? Yeah, that's a tricky one. He was uh, you know, not out there the past two days. He was going through at least the stretching portion of practice today. You, know, you think back, I actually went back through um, the, the tape from last year, not every play, but I watched a decent amount of it. You know, He was up against Michael Thomas in that game. Thomas scores his first touchdown against him. The second touchdown by Michael Thomas, uh, as the Saints made their comeback before the Minneapolis Miracle, uh, is against, I believe, Terrence Newman in the slot, because Rhodes uh, was knocked out of the game for a bit because of an injury on that day. I mean, there's no question the Vikings need Xavier Rhodes in this game. This is a high-powered uh, Saints offense that can test you in a lot of different ways. As Zimmer said it well earlier this week, just in terms of, you know, Sean Payton really doesn't care about down and distance. Uh, he is indiscriminate in his approach. That's the other thing I'm asking us to think about today. You know, and Smith said, well, this is a, you know, normally we're a team that really prides ourselves on preparation and watching film and analyzing tendencies. If you don't have tendencies, it's, it's a lot tougher. You know, a lot of it's just kind of, uh, where you know, Roots is their best man for her. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Let's also not forget that they lost Mike Hughes, who maybe was playing at the highest level of any of the Vikings corners when he went down. So now there would be a lot to ask Colton Hill to suddenly come out there and start shadowing uh, Michael Thomas. It seems like, you know, with Rhodes at least getting on the field to do something today, that they'll give him up until game day. You know, do they have him in a shadow like he normally would if he weren't dealing with anything else? Um, you know, those are evaluations that probably over the next. Uh, 44 hours or so, you know, 48 hours of like I can to make it. Tom, you touched on it there, but how much of Drew Brees' success into his late 30s has to do with just who he is and how great of a quarterback he's been through his career and how great his situation is? I was just talking to Judd about even the running game of the Saints is indiscriminate because they do so many different things. Now they have a tight end slash wide receiver slash running back slash quarterback who comes in and does everything. It seems like Drew Brees is not only great, but also has so much great around him. Well, that, that's huge for them to have that running game. And I think that when the Saints were going through some tough times, I mean, you think back to 2015, 2016, you're wondering how long is Breeze going to stick around there? Is Sean Payton going to be out? Uh, you know, there are all sorts of different scenarios. And the big thing that sort of boosted them forward was when they got the running game going again. Because everything does play off that. That's not unlike a lot of teams uh, within the NFL. They do have a couple of backs, Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, who, yeah, they're comfortable with those guys doing everything. You know, they can use them in different ways. They can run both of them between the tackles. They can run both of them outside. They like to not have Kamara have to have, you know, upwards of 15 carries a game, which is something that was happening early on this season. Uh, he had a little bit of a course correction when uh, Ingram came back. And Sean Payton, he talks to people in the league, scouts and coaches, they'll tell you he's, He's one of the toughest guys in the league to uh, be able to, to match up against just because he is so smart with offense. You know, with Drew, he's, he has not really had an arm. Uh, you know, I don't think really, going back to when he had the shoulder issues over a decade ago, and certainly in recent years, he's not quite necessarily had as much on the football as he has in the past. But 
our research people pulled some numbers about how good he is when he gets the ball out of his hand quickly. Under 2.5 seconds, he's completing like 80% of his passes. Uh, you know, he's not getting pressure. He's, he's you know, playing at a, a really high level. Uh, and they've always been in front of a quick strike offense. You know, that's, that's what Drew's done for years now, which is just be smarter than everybody else on the field, do a lot of it with his mind. And when you have guys around you like Kamara and Ingram and, and Michael Thomas on down, uh, certainly uh, boosts your ability to do that. Tom, if the power rankings in this conference right now went Rams, Saints, Vikings, how much of a gap do you think there is in, in how those rankings would be currently, and how much do they stand to change if the Vikings can beat the Saints on Sunday? You know, it's a good question. I think that, you know, the Packers playing the Rams on Sunday is a big one, too. I mean, you really, if you're stacking up who are the teams you fear in the NFC, I think the Eagles still have the possibility to be in that category. I thought for about uh, 50 minutes or so on Sunday that, uh, that the Eagles were going to be pushing themselves right back there because Carson Wentz was, you know, chucking darts out there. He had Alshon, you know, three going. They were, they looked good. They're up 17 nothing, and then all of a sudden they fall flat down the stretch and the Panthers, of all people, uh, come back and you know play well. I thought Dorf Turner did an excellent job adjusting uh, what they were doing in that game. You do kind of have that uh, that muddled middle. Uh, the NFC's got a lot of really talented teams. Uh, I think that you know these games are really going to sort things out. I mean, look at the first. Look at the Packers stretch coming up. You talked about a team that has the talent. They definitely have the quarterback to be a factor in that mix. But you know their next five games, they're at the Rams. Then they go to the opposite coast to face the Patriots. One at home against the Dolphins, then they got to go back out west on a Thursday night to face the Seahawks, and then they come here to face the Vikings. I mean, that's a brutal stretch, over 11,000 miles that they've got to travel. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers acknowledged it this week. That's going to shake a lot of things out in terms of where they are in the mix. I think that you know a lot of these interconference games have to be a big for playoff season and everything else. You know, to answer your question, I don't know how big the gap is. I mean, the Vikings played the Rams, at least made that a game. Uh, they had the Vikings had some challenges uh, in that game because of injuries and other things um, playing on this short week like they were at that time. Um, you know, it's, it's it's tough to say. I mean, you, if you look at it just in terms of pure firepower, you'd say the Rams, the Vikings, and the Saints have all shown. You know, the Vikings more so pass the ball than anything else, but they've all shown that they've got a lot there. But you do have some of those other teams with really good quarterbacks like the Packers with Rodgers, who so you can't cut out in that conversation. Tommy's uh, staying in the conference but going outside of the division. The Cowboys make the big trade for Amari Cooper. As, is he going to make much of a difference for them down there in, in, in that with that offense and Dak Prescott? There's a lot of things going there, Manny. I mean, first of all, let's consider that Amari Cooper you know, was really productive in 2015 and 16 and fell off last season. Uh, you know, And then this year, obviously, had not been able to fit in uh, particularly well with this staff so far. Uh Executives I asked with other teams who have been keeping tabs on the receiver market were blown away that the Raiders were actually able to get a first-round pick mm. uh, for Amari Cooper. And he plays a position that historically would be right up there at the top of positions that are most difficult to join the team and make an impact during the season just because NFL passing offenses are all about rhythm and timing and tempo. You can't really build that. You know, a new playbook, all the different adjustments you might have to make in an offense. I'm not saying Amari Cooper's going to come in and, and not make any impact, but you know, that's not an easy situation at all. And the Cowboys staff is going to have to figure out ways to integrate him quickly. I mean, I think that if you're looking out for the trade deadline on Tuesday, that's always something you've got to consider. A running back, you can plug and play that guy pretty quick. There's only so many run plays that you can possibly uh, you know, pull in a game. Receiver, uh, positions like that, anything on the perimeter is going to be 
uh, a little bit tricky. You know, it'll be it'll be fascinating. I mean, the Cowboys obviously felt uh, a little bit of desperation coming out there, lost to the Redskins, sitting there at three and four. And Austin pointed out that uh, when we've made other in-season trades for like the Joey Galloway and Will Williams, uh, they're they're all buyers or more stuff. Tom, the, I don't want to be the person who uh, judges Kirk Cousins' eighty-four million dollar contract on every game because uh, you know the, the, we're going to have to see how it plays out over the three years. You're just but, so negative, Colin. Uh, yeah, You're I just know. So negative. But well, I, the way I look at it though is, as a quarterback, he passed the test against the Rams and put up huge numbers, and then went to Philadelphia and did something that I think every Vikings fan needed him to do, which was to beat the Eagles and, and get a little revenge there. This, to me, Tom, is another one where if if he could go toe-to-toe with Drew Brees, that he would, I guess, add further proof to the uh, Vikings making the right decision by signing him. Yeah, and it's a prime-time game and all those things. I think that's what everybody's waiting to see. You know, when you get into crunch time and you get into January, he's still going to be that guy. But I was thinking about this uh, this morning. You know, for all the people who have, you know, talked about Kirk Cousins and just kind of ignoring the numbers he put up in Washington over the past couple of years. I mean, that if you Start the clock from the day that Cousins takes over as the Washington's unquestioned starter, which I think is at the start of the 2016 season. His numbers over those next couple of years stack up well against Hall of Famers. I mean, he puts up really good numbers. He's always been that guy. I think that you know, with the better supporting cast around him, that's really helped. But he hasn't had his left tackle. He hasn't had his starting running back. He really hasn't had much of a semblance of a running game. And he's still continuing uh, to perform really well. I mean, I think that. You had to get some of the credit there to Jimmy Filippo, the offensive coordinator, who went out calling people within the league uh, over the past week from an annual uh, rising head coaching candidate stories. He's the first name out of everybody's mouth. I mean, if, if the Vikings are on this course and Flip is not out of head coaching job come January, it is going to be a lot of people shocked uh, within the league. Uh, you know, they've gotten, him, they've gotten him up to speed. They continue to find ways to to get Adam Thielen open. Uh, Stavon Davis has seen a lot of double coverage. That's certainly helping out Thielen. But, you know, they've gotten the ball to their weapons without, in many cases, the primary way that you get guys open, which is having a running game, having play action, cleaning things up on the back end. Uh, Cousins is continuing to, to be that guy that he's always been. I mean, he's going to be judged like every other quarterback who has not won in the playoffs on what do you do in the rivalry games, in the primetime games, in December and January. Uh, and he knows that. He's conscious of it. But he's always talked about, you know, pressure not really being something that uh, is at the forefront of his mind. So, you know, Sunday will not be a referendum on more than any other game on who Kirk Cousins is. But I don't think anybody should be surprised if he comes out there and once again plays really well. Football Thanks, Tom Pelsero. Talk to you next week. See you, Tommy. Sounds good, boys. All right, bye. Tom, of course, will be uh, covering Viking Saints on Sunday for NFL Network, so check him out. I'm sure starting with the updates early in the morning. A lot of games on Sunday in the afternoon, and you're thinking to yourself, well, the Vikings aren't playing, so where where am I going to go watch all those games? Well, Manny Hill's got the answer for you. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd, Matthew Collar, and Judd Zolgad here. And joining us now from Pro Football Focus, Sam Monson. Sam, how are you? Doing good, guys. How about you? 
You know, we're, we're jacked, Sam. I mean, this is about as big as it gets for middle of the regular season game. National TV, Vikings and Saints, Everson Griffin is returning. I'm curious just the big picture here, what you think of this matchup, and if you look at the Vikings team as being in the same conversation with the Saints or that they have to beat the Saints in order to be there. Yeah, I think it is one of the, the matchups of this week, one of the matchups of kind of this season so far. Two really strong teams, I think. You know, I think the NFC generally is a lot stronger than some teams' records would suggest. You know, there's a lot of very strong teams in the NFC, and consequently a lot of teams have been beating up on each other. So you've got teams sitting there with a record that isn't fantastic because they've been playing a lot of other very good NFC teams. So, you know, I think the Vikings and the Saints, obviously they were both playoff teams a year ago. I think they're both still capable playoff teams this season, um, but they, they may have worse records than they did a year ago because they've had to go through this gauntlet of the NFC. I think the Saints, there's a lot of talent there. They've probably been playing the better football overall, um, but I think the Vikings are, are there with them. They've got a lot of talent as well. I think there's, they just have to um, kind of play to their potential in this in this game to, to match the Saints, but I think they probably do need to win this game to be seen as the same, you know, in that same echelon as the Saints. Sam, who do you think the best team in this conference is right now who doesn't have a great mark or record at this point? Yeah, I think there's a lot of good teams in this conference. Um, you know, obviously, you're talking about the, the, the Los Angeles Rams are heading away the best team in the NFC, maybe the best team in the league right there with the Chiefs. Um, after the Rams, it's really... It's chaotic. The NFC has a bunch of teams that have all been knocking each other off, and I think any one of them could ultimately emerge over the course of this season and and really challenge once they hit the playoffs. But teams like the Vikings are much better than their record. Um, You know, teams like the Eagles. The Eagles are under 500, and they're the defending Super Bowl champions, and most of that roster is still intact. I think they're a lot better than their record shows as well. Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus, joining Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad here. Uh, Kirk Cousins' performance this year, I've been called negative, Sam, and I don't like that. Uh, I think objective is the way to look at it. That there have, been, there have been ups and downs for Kirk Cousins is the way I look at it, where in Los Angeles he is about as good as it gets, and then there have been times through the last two weeks where there have been mistakes that you don't want to see and you don't want to see crop up in a game like this against the Saints. What has been your takeaway on Kirk Cousins' season so far? Yeah, I think Cousins has kind of been what they bought into. Cousins has been a, a good quarterback, and he's been a quarterback that's a little bit more high variance than, you know, the guys that he replaced, than guys like Case Keenum or, you know, Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Bradford. Those guys are much more conservative quarterbacks at heart, but Cousins is, is much more of a high variance quarterback. He's got uh, 17 big time throws so far this season, which is the third most in the league, only Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, and Jared Goff have more. Um, but you're going to see some of those mistakes. You're going to see those relatively inexplicable plays. And I think you, the Vikings, I think in particular, made this conscious choice that it was worth it because the high-variance guy is the guy that can bring you back in the game where you're down you know, double-digit points and you need something special to happen in the passing game. We saw that in the Green Bay game okay, it ultimately didn't get them the win because the kicker couldn't make any of his kicks. But 
Cousins did his job there. He brought them back from a big deficit in a way I don't know that Sam Bradford or Case Keenum or Teddy Bridgewater would have been capable of doing. Sam, what what would a game like this say about Mike Zimmer with you know with all the injuries that they have on defense right now and and just sort of the question marks about who's going to be available and who's you know and if those guys are available how effective they'll be if if the Vikings can can get a win like this against the Saints uh, with considering how banged up they are on the defensive side what does this really say about Mike Zimmer I think a lot of people already regard him as one of the best coaches in the NFL but what what would a win like this considering the circumstances do for him. I mean, this would be pretty spectacular. The Saints are on offense. They're almost like a, a mix of the Chiefs and the uh, and the Rams when you, you kind of fold in the schematic brilliance and the athletic brilliance of their guys. The Chiefs are all about those special athletes and Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes and what they can do, whereas the Rams are all about Sean McVay scheming up all these plays and getting guys wide open. The Saints kind of do a little bit of everything. They've got really talented playmakers guys like Michael Thomas, guys like Alvin Kamara out of the backfield. Um, but they also scheme really well. And, and Drew Brees is able to be incredibly consistent, incredibly productive, despite not pushing the ball down the field as much as some of these other guys. He's able to just take the easy wins and exploit the coverage that way. So if you're able as a defense to slow that down and to limit that offense, it's a really special job, particularly if you are banged up on defense the way the Vikings are. Sam, I, I'm going to need you to tell me uh, the analytics on something that seems to be a bit of a debate between Zimmer and his offensive coordinator, John Filippo. that at least I'm getting the hint of this, that the Vikings don't run much on second down. I mean, they really haven't run much at all, except for a few explosive plays from Latavius Murray the last two weeks. Uh, but last week, Zimmer mentioned in his press conference after the Jets win that he wished the Vikings would mix it up a little bit more and run on second down, even if the first down run didn't work is that a statistically smart play to run on second down or does it just depend on the game the situation who's playing what's your take on that no it's a freaking terrible idea to run on second and long <laughs> never do it never ever run on second and long it i never do it on madden idea. sam so there you go you know you know it's not that hard <laughs> okay explain it it's just it's it's not a good play it statistically does not get you back to kind of uh, productivity you need to, to overcome that hole. If you're in second and long, you're already behind the chains, you're in a hole, and you're, you've got a better chance of digging yourself out of that hole with multiple pass plays than you have running on, on second and long. Sometimes it creates a, sometimes it works. Sometimes you get the second and long run and it makes a big play and everybody feels vindicated. But over the, the broader spectrum of things, over the weight of large numbers, it just doesn't hold up as well as passing does. Give us the three football things that drive Sam Munson the most up the wall. What are the three freaking stupidest <laughs> things that one. coaches do? I think we did, but okay, I want three. Two. I love this. Yeah, running on second down, running on second long is quite a good one. Anytime you punt from within the opposing territory, somebody should get fired for that. There's no excuse for ever punting the ball inside the opponent's territory. Um, and this isn't really a coaching thing, but this is a league thing. Icing the kicker is just the worst thing ever. They need to outlaw that as well. Right. So is it, does that work statistically? I guess it doesn't if you hate it or you just think it's stupid. I haven't actually checked whether icing the kicker works or not, but even if it does, 
they need to get rid of it. It just sucks for everybody. <laughs> now, I agree it sucks for everybody. How would they do it, though? Like, would they just say, like, you can't call a timeout if they run the kicker out there? Or, like, I, I just I don't know how practically they would make that work. Look, I'm an ideas guy. The details are up to somebody else. Oh, you fit right yeah, in. Quit trying to get the minutia from him. He just told you what he wants out loud. I only That's asked right. him what drove him crazy. Okay, yeah, I, I don't need you to figure out how to do it. I'll I'll leave that to Roger Goodell. He um he always figures out when there's any sort of problems. Oh, um, so, God help so, us, Sam. Who do you who do you got? Who do you got? Um, and if there's anything else you want to just vent on about things you hate around the league, oh, feel, go right ahead. Feel free yeah, first, and then you, or life, and, and then give us a, your uh, prediction. You can you can vent about America and living here now. Yeah. What you think about that? You like Trump? Go yeah. ahead. I can see that going really well, given the state of things at the moment. Um, no, I, I think this is going to be a really good game. It's really tough to look past the Saints team, given how good they are, um, and given how things uh, panned out at the last game. You know, ultimately it did take that Minneapolis miracle to make it happen. I think the Vikings' offensive line has improved since then. I think they're in better shape than they were on that side of the ball. But on the other hand, the defense is worse. Um, you know, it's going to be a really close game, and I think it's going to come down to the end again but I'm going to lean New Orleans this time. How's the food in America in comparison to Ireland? Very big portions. Very big portions. Yeah. You guys have got that under control. More tasty or no? Yeah, I mean, obviously it, it depends where you go for, right? If you, you go for certain places, it's not going to taste so good, but you've got some good food over here. All right. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate <laughs> it. End on that. Thanks, Anytime, Sam. Guys. On that note, bye, Sam. Sam Munson, Pro Football Focus. That response to your question was an all-timer from Sam. That was like when, if anybody asked Mike D'Antoni about a mid-range shot. Like, because Mike D'Antoni's whole deal with the Rockets is basically, I want to shoot threes and layups. That's all That's all we ever should be shooting. We should never be shooting mid-range shots, like, ever, under any circumstance. It reminded me of Patrick Royce on the opener. Yeah. Oh, at a press conference, though. At a press Nonetheless, conference, yes. That's the or, greatest of all time. Or what, what I used to feel, and I don't have to feel this way anymore, but I used to hate when teams would bunt after getting the first guy on. Like when. Well, that was a staple of my childhood. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Like, guy works a walk. Yep. And then the second guy, Jay Bell, let's say, let's get him comes a second. up, lays one down. That, that was the worst. It was like, I, I want to see people hit here. I don't, I don't need a guy just, like, bunting one down. Rocco, considering where you came from, I suppose you're a fan of the opener that is ruining baseball as we know it. Did you write a column on that? <laughs> Several. <laughs> That's the great response. Did you write a column on that? Several. Several. Yeah. I think uh, Sam Monson feels the same way about running on second down. Now, the the stipulation here, oh, though, great. what yeah. I what I would say the the only asterisk because I do agree with Sam that. Uh, for the most part, passing on second down and long is not a good play for you. But when you're winning against the New York Jets, who keep throwing you the ball, then you know mixing in a screen or a run play, especially when you are pushing them off the line of scrimmage, probably would have been a good play. Because I know that Sage Rosenfels, when we talked on the podcast, he was wondering why you're up in a game and you're dominating their defensive line right. in the run game and you're not sticking with that even on second down. I think Zimmer probably had the same feeling. I don't think I've ever heard Sam respond to you that something is stupid and then the response to him is, do the statistics tell you that? And he says, I have no clue. I see the kicker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, see the kicker. I don't know. Yeah, I, thought I got no clue. I thought he would have known. But he's right. Yeah, Icing the kicker, like the kicker like is it. just... It's so dumb. Well, and the other thing in... in 
pro football too is these guys are professional kickers. So let's just let's not let's not use that t- that, that timeout. That's why I always enjoy watching when somebody tries to ice the kicker and they still you know they still snap it. The whistle's been blown and they still snap it and the kicker misses the kick. But they give the guy the timeout and then he makes it on the actual kick attempt. That always cracks me up because it's like it's it's the whole thing is so stupid. It's and so there's, dumb. There's no way to really like figure out. Like, is it going to work or is it not going to work when you ice them or does it reduce? I mean, I mean, are you going to go back and look at every time that they tried to ice the guy? I, it, see, it seems like a thing that maybe worked one time a really long time ago and coaches went like, yeah, yep. that works back when, you know, who knows, was kicking it, barefoot kickers in the 80s or, or something, but kickers Rich now. Carlos. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think from a fan standpoint, even more is where. Sam hates it, and I do too, because you you get this build up to a big play, and the guy kicks it, and if it's really loud or something, you don't realize that they call the timeout. Yep. So then everyone either celebrates or is upset or whatever their reaction is going to be, and then it's oh we got to kick it again. Now I didn't the, didn't this work for the Vikings against Green Bay? Yes, yeah, Crosby made Crosby that. Made Crosby the first made the one. first okay. one and missed the second. I still, I'm with Sam. I hate it. Oh, I can't stand it. Collar, do you did you ever play the NCAA football video games? Yes. In fact, today <laughs> it came up that someone on the Vikings told me that Teddy Bridgewater was a huge fan of that game. And if I already didn't like Bridgewater enough, he and I are on the same page. Oh, the man that. the man crushes the, in full. I know. I was full. like <laughs> I was like, oh man, Teddy's an NCA guy too. Wow. Yeah, that's that's one of the all time great games. Teddy, I yeah. love you. But the, what's it <laughs> the reason why I bring it up though, Judge, because on that game you could actually like try and ice the kicker to where, you know, they, wow. they give you the little meter yeah, on right. the thing where you can you time it out right and you get enough power and enough accuracy on your kick. Well if you call a timeout late in a game in a tie situation or go ahead situation that what they'll do is you've iced the kicker. So they'll put like the little, the meter there, but they'll put like this big chunk of ice over it or whatever. So where you <laughs> yeah, can't, that's see, right. the you can't meter. see it, but it's like, if you know how to play and you know how to get your timing, right? It doesn't matter. You still end up being able to Does it, is it kick sh- it well. Shaky camera too. Or is that as like you're on the road? You'll yeah, they used the to have the camera. shaky camera where yeah. if you went to like Florida or, you know, some SEC school yes. with a big crowd, like the camera would shake if you're on the road on third down or something. Plenty more football talk to come. <laughs> Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Are you ready? Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. We are ready. Now back to Mackie and Judd. Ready! Fifteen hundred ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic here before we uh, return to the TCL broadcast studios. One hundred Highway One Hundred northbound. We've got a crash in Brooklyn Center between Fifty Seventh Avenue and Ninety Four. Factor in about an extra three or four minutes there, but otherwise everything else moving around uh, fairly smoothly around the metro. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd right now is uh, Zolgad, Manny Hill, Matthew Collar as we uh, continue on the regular scheduled football hour coming up at 5 o'clock. Sage Rosenfels, 5.15, in which he also tells a fantastic story about his decision on which team to go see after the Minneapolis Miracle last season. And uh, I was very proud of Sage. But first, we have an opportunity for you to win a gift card to Red Cow or Red Rabbit. The first caller, 651-646-8255, with the answer to this trivia question, is going to win the gift card to uh, either or $50, two of the great restaurants in this town. And here is the question. 
How many fumbles did the Vikings lose in their loss to the Saints in the 2009 NFC title game? Not how many did they have. How many fumbles did the Vikings lose in their loss to the Saints in the 2009 NFC title game? 651-646-8255. The first person to call with the correct answer will win a $50 gift card to Red Cow or Red Rabbit Restaurants. Um, of course, uh, there's about three or four locations for Red Cow around the Twin Cities. Red Rabbit in downtown Minneapolis. One of the great meat and cheese plates, Matthew Collar, in all of the Twin Cities. So let me ask you this. Uh, what Sam Monson said about him hating the icing the kicker and him not having numbers or caring about the numbers on that at all was funny because it's not, not usually him to not have or care about numbers on something. Uh, I know that there are a thousand things that drive you crazy, Judd, about sports. But what is it with football where it's something that is relatively harmless, like icing the kicker, that you just can't stand? I think I know mine. Give me yours while I think on that because there's a few things that sort of drive me crazy, but I don't know that they drive me nearly as nuts as Sam said he was driven by it. What's yours? I, I think I've gotten into... Every time a team punts, like if you and I are covering a game, let's say I have to stop by the restroom for a minute or I need a drink or something. Yep. I'm going to go when someone punts. Like there's no more punt returns. It's a fair catch almost every single time or they let it bounce or the guy just gets hammered or there's a penalty. It's just like a punt used to be a play that you something could break a big play, a punt block. They used to happen now and then punt blocks. Okay, one happened in the Green Bay game, but that's it. Like, think of all the punt things that have happened recently. I mean, it's there's just not, like no entertainment. So more to that so play. than kickoffs to you? It's become the same. Where right, the kickoff no, is there's no entertainment aside to from punt return except for yes, and no entertainment to kick returns. The fact that those have just been completely eliminated. The kick return I understand because it's dangerous, yep. but the punt return is just because I think the punters are great. Yep. They kick it so freaking high, and you're like, come on, this is boring. Can I, I'm so tired of punts. Can I give you something that doesn't fall within decision-making but now drives me nuts? How a lot of defenders approach pass plays. And by that, I mean, I don't understand why more coaches now don't teach players to attack the ball. Like you still, how many guys do you still see not turn around? And I know that's not supposed to be a penalty, but it ordinarily is, right? So they'll face guard a guy, and then and then that's not supposed to be a penalty, but these officials almost always throw the flag. Or guys that just look totally lost in coverage, and, and it's like they're trying to hang on the receiver, mm-hmm. and it's 2018. Yeah. You're either going to get burned on that play, or you're going to draw a flag. It's like, why don't you incorporate on some pass plays... If you attack the ball, you're probably going to, one, break up the play, and two, not get a flag. Why don't more guys... Harrison Smith is doing a very good job, I think, this year. Mm -hmm. He's attacking the football. Yeah, He's no longer all that concerned. You can catch the ball. What he's going to do is he's going to grab your arms and shake them around, (laughs) and you're going to drop the football. Seriously. It drives me nuts that the philosophies on how to attack the pass haven't evolved to match what are now being called. And I see all these guys getting burned with these old school, well, this used to work. Well, yeah, it used to work. It doesn't work now. Mm -hmm. One, the receivers are too good. And two, if they're not, they're going to get a penalty called on you because this league wants offense. That's like really specific. It drives me nuts. (laughs) No, but when I see Harrison Smith attack the football, I say to myself, put this on film. Let's teach this. 
an okay, if we're going that specific, it amazes me that linebackers still attack the run on every play action. It, it's like they're on a string or something. It's like they they're bots. They can't think for themselves. So no, you No, I know. Yes. You, you just you run the play action it's just like, "Oh, I have to like moths to a flame." Just like I I've got to get the run guy. Oh no, they <laughs> threw over me again for the 60th yes! straight time. Yes! And you see all these quarterbacks with and uh, Cousins is this way too. These quarterbacks with amazing ratings on the play action like and I asked Zimmer one time, "You ever consider having your linebackers just like not attack the run when a team runs play action every other play?" And he's like, no. I'm like, well, should you? <laughs> and that's sort of the always, well, we've always done it the way we're doing it. Yeah. What do you want from us, Matthew? Now, Dante Hightower on an interception against Pat Mahomes when the Patriots played the Chiefs, he baited Mahomes to throwing to an area. And Belichick actually broke this play down on their like weekly film thing. And it was awesome. Yes. Because he, he pointed out that Hightower... Looked like he was coming in hard on the run, and so Mahomes took his eyes off him and threw to an area, and instead Hightower was there for a pick because he knew exactly on that type of play what is supposed to open up behind him, and without even really knowing, he just ran to a spot, and then the ball showed up there and he picked it off. So the the team that figures out how to bait quarterbacks into throwing to space on those play actions is going to get a lot of picks. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN.